Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Well, good morning, everybody. If you are new, uh, my name is Derek. I am the pastor here at the Bridge. And uh, I just want to share something. As Riley kind of talked about Christmas Eve Eve, um, I just want to kind of share something with you that I found out this week. I haven't heard of Billy Graham before. A lot of people. Okay. Billy Graham was a pastor uh, for many, many years. He has since uh, went home to be with Jesus. But uh, he has a whole foundation where they kind of have a cool operation of ministry out in North Carolina. And they did a statistic a few years ago. They, uh, they pulled a bunch of people who don't normally go to church. And they said, okay, what, how did you find out about a church? What would make you go to church? Um, you know, and there's like three or 4% were like, you know, marketing or an advertisement. Some were like, oh, uh, you know, like I, I heard about this from this out of the other person. But did you guys know that 84% of people said, if I was invited to a church service, I would go? 84%. That's almost nine out of 10 people where if you said, hey, would you come to church with me? They would probably come. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be your case, but here's what I am saying. When we talk about Christmas Eve and Eve Eve, we understand that Christmas is a magical time. It's a special time. But for some people, it's a tough time as they're alone or they're going through some difficult things. And we're going to have a fun, life-giving, upbeat service here for Eve Eve. And so my challenge truly is to everyone, bring somebody, whether it's a, a family member, whether it's a friend, a coworker, bring somebody with you because it is a magical season. So magical that I want to kind of tell you guys an experience that I had recently. Uh, just this past week, late in the week, I got back from a five, six-day hunting trip, and it was awesome. But a Christmas miracle happened at my house while I was gone. On Thursday morning, I got in my truck, put the dog in the back, all my hunting stuff, put my car in drive, and off we went to North Dakota. When I left, my house was full of fall decor. There were leaves, it was orange, it was red, it was yellow. When I got home, you would have thought Santa moved in. There was winter decor everywhere. Ornaments were out, the Mary wreath was hanging on the front door, and here's the most miraculous part, there was only one person home the entire time. It was my wife. So I don't know how it happened, but Christmas just is at the mom household already. So if you're just like looking to have that itch scratch, come on over. Hallmark will be rolling real soon, I presume. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. I truly love Christmas. Love for you to be a part of it. Uh, But uh, all jokes aside, I am so glad to be back. Uh, When I am gone, it just feels like I'm apart from family. And so I'm just glad to be back. I'm excited to jump into a message that I believe God has for all of us. And so here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to bring some energy today. I'm going to bring some excitement today, I'm hoping. And so if you are ready for a message that God wants to speak to you, give me one excited, yeah. yeah. Let's go. I'm not just saying this. That was truly better than first service. So let's go. We're ready to go. Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, kicking it back to the Old Testament. Here we go. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes. If you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. 
As I process this sermon series we're in right now, if you're new, we do these things called sermon series where we kind of talk about different things thematically and in patterns. We've been in a series called AKA. We're talking about the different names of God. And as I got away and I processed, I kind of wanted to make something clear and just kind of clarify something. We believe in the one true God. We believe there's God the Son or God the Father who's up in heaven, who when we pass from this earth to the next, we'll come face to face with and we'll kind of have that judgment time. We believe in a Jesus Christ, God the Son, who died on the cross, who took your sin uh, on, on his shoulders so you wouldn't have to. And we believe in God the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, God inside of you. We believe in that one true God. So when we talk about these different names of God, they're not different gods. They're not different variations of God. They're just different names. Like in, my, in the same way, my name is Derek, but my wife would call me Babe. I don't know if you guys are Babe couples, but we're Babe couples, Okay. That's how we roll in our household. It's kind of the same thing. It's just different names for the same deity, which is God. So here's why that's significant. Because we believe that there is a real God who is really invested in your life. We believe in a God who is very alive and active today in your life, in your kids' lives, in your grandkids' lives, in your coworkers. God wants to be involved in your life. So the reason we're talking about these names of God is because they give us clues into how God relates with us. Because it's one thing to believe in an almighty, powerful God up in the clouds. But it's another thing to realize that that same powerful God is intricately involved in your daily life. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He cares about you in every sense of the word. And so that's why we look at these names. And as we looked at Exodus chapter 15, remember if you, if you were to look in your Bible and open it up, that last part of verse 26 where it says, I am the Lord who heals you, it would be italicized, which means it's a name. And the name is Jehovah Rapha. Now, as I stand on this stage before you today, I want to kind of confess something I felt so unqualified to preach this message when I first kind of put this on the docket. I felt so unqualified as we talked about this name of Jehovah Rapha, and here's why. Because all throughout Scripture, you see God healing people. In the New Testament, you see Jesus. There was a man who was blind, who literally couldn't see anything. So Jesus kneels down, spits in the mud, takes the mud, and spreads it on his eyes, and all of a sudden he can see miraculously. It's incredible. There's a a paralytic, a man who couldn't walk, who couldn't stand up, was completely paralyzed, but he had four really good friends who put him on a mat, brought him to Jesus, lowered him through the roof. Jesus prayed for him, and he was healed. Then there was Peter's mother-in-law, who was sick and dying. And so Jesus came into Peter's house. He prayed for Peter's mother-in-law, and she was healed. Miraculous healing after miraculous healing. And if that doesn't do anything for you, this might. There was a man named Lazarus who was dead. And Jesus went over to him, prayed for him, and he came back to life. And here's why I felt a little bit unqualified. Because that's awesome. Is that not awesome that God can do that? That he can heal things? That's awesome. But it's not just Jesus. Paul in Act, if you were to open the book of Acts in the New Testament, there's a man named Paul. And let me tell you what, Paul could preach. You thought I was long-winded? Paul, that man went on and on and on and on. And here's how I know that. Because in Acts chapter 20, there's a man named Eutychus who's just casually taken in one of Paul's sermons, one of the greatest communicators of all time. And he's sitting in a window. And this man named Eutychus falls asleep, like some of you have done in this church, understandably. But he falls asleep, 
and falls out the window and dies. Talk about a buzzkill to a Sunday morning sermon. Am I right? Would that not just be a terrible way to start your week, right? But this man falls out of the window, and Paul goes down there, prays for him. He was dead and comes back to life. That's incredible. It's amazing. It's a truly miraculous healing. I've heard and personally witnessed the stories of people who are like, Derek, you're never going to believe this. I went to the doctor, and I got this scan, and they, they, I have this, this growth on one part of my body. And you know you were, you were praying for healing, right? Yeah. Well, I went back, and it was completely gone. Incredible. Awesome. They said, yeah, the, the, the doctor looked at me and said, this is actually a legitimate miracle. I have no idea how this happened. You, my friend, are a miracle. It's awesome. But here's why I have personally felt unqualified for this message, because here's the deal. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can do that. But as I stand on this stage, I can't personally say, for me, that's happened to me. I can't say that I was, mirac- I was, I was in a bad, dire straits, and I needed a miracle, or my family member needed a miracle. I was never in that situation, and I'm at a crux because here's the deal. I don't understand why you can hear those incredible stories of God healing people because he can. Yet I can also sit in a hospital room where we're praying and praying and praying and praying and praying, and the healing doesn't happen. I don't understand how it it, is for, for, because if we're really, really honest with ourselves, some of us might have experienced one of those healings where it's like, this is awesome. Yes, God is so good. And you're just beaming. But the person who's listening is excited for you. But also, there's a part of them that's a little sad because they too prayed for a miracle. And it didn't happen the way that they had hoped it would happen. And so, as a pastor, as a man who believes and has seen and witnessed God do miraculous healings, but who's also seen healings not happen the way I thought they would, I sit here and I go, how am I going to preach a message on healing? Knowing full well people in this room might have experienced both sides of the spectrum. Some of you in this room may have experienced healing. And some of you maybe haven't. And so how do you begin to preach a message on that. And that is when I started to study. That's when I started to look. And I realized that wherever you fall on the spectrum of that, I think God wants to speak to something else about healing today in Exodus chapter 15. Because we, I read to you verse 26 where it says, I am the Lord who heals you. But what's the context around that? Here we go. Verse 22, four verses before that, what's happening? Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. I know we have hectic days some days, but I want to just kind of catch you up on the day that Israel's had. For years, they were slaves. They were forced to carry tough manual labor objects. They worked, they were abused, they did all these different things. So they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. God, bring us out of slavery. So God answered their prayers. The Egyptians were the ones who were keeping them slaves. So God sent you know, a bunch of boils and nasty sores all over the Egyptians' bodies. He turned the Nile River, which was their source of life, into blood. They sent frogs all over the place. It was a mess. Until finally the Egyptians were like, all right, Israel, just go. Leave us alone. We know your God's real. We've had enough message received. 
Go about your business. So off to Israel run. We're free! Until the Egyptians realized, there goes all of our workers. We got to go get them back. So they start to chase them back. And they're being pursued. They're being chased until Israel gets to the Red Sea. And this is a story you might have heard in a children's book, a story you might have heard before. But Moses takes a staff, hits the Red Sea. The water goes up on a big wall on each side. Israel walks across on dry ground. They get to the other side. And as the Egyptians follow them, God sends the water back across and drowns all of their enemies. Talk about a day. We're free. We're not. We're free. We're not. They're dead. We're not. What a day. And off they went into the promised land, right? A land flowing with milk and honey and palm trees and no snow and all these different things, right? No. Verse 22, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. They went on vacation to Israel. Don't. It's hot and dry. And arid. It is a literal desert. And so just out of curiosity, does anybody know how long you can survive uh, without water? Three days. How long were they wandering in the desert? Three days. Things might have been a little tense in the Israelite camp. Verse 23, when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why it's called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Let me just kind of paint this picture for you because I know how I would be if I were an Israelite. For three days, you have been wandering in the desert. You have no air conditioning, no plush leather seats. You got foot one and foot two, and your back hurts, your feet hurt, you literally have no water, you are dehydrating to death. And off in the distance, you see a little town called Mara. You go to town, and in the middle of the town, there's a well. How exciting! There's water in the well, right? They run to the well. I can just picture like them, like you know, bringing the bucket up the well really, really fast. And they take a glass of water, and it's bitter. And we're not talking like bitter, like. If you were to take a glass of water here, the other day I went to the, into our kitchen and just get a glass of water, and I thought there was tang coming out of the sink. We know what it's like to have bitter water in now then, don't we? It's orange, it's irony, you can just like chew it basically, right? Like we know what that's like, we do. This is not that. This is, when they say bitter, it's undrinkable, it's like salt water. It's like trying to take a big glass of salt water when you're on an abandoned island out in the ocean. It's so, so discouraging that you can be that close to water, but it's not drinkable. So you can imagine that things weren't super great for Israel. Imagine being that close to water, but not being able to drink it. That close to your solution, but not having the ability to drink it. This was like torture to the nth degree. And so what does verse 24 say? So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? I've heard of grumbling before. We're Minnesotans. We're passive aggressive. I've heard grumbling. Oh, gosh. Have you heard about that? That's grumbling. If you've had three days in the desert without water, I don't think they're grumbling. 
I think they're saying, uh, Moses, hello, we have no water. Where are you leading us? At least when we were slaves, we had food and water. What in the world are you doing? Where are you leading us? What are you doing? They're not happy. And they go to Moses and they say, what are we to drink? What does Moses do? This is what's so interesting to me. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. Here's what's interesting to me. Moses was dealt the same deck as the Israelites. He too was really thirsty. He too was really tired. He too was on the verge of death. On top of, he had a bunch of people who were upset with him, who wanted to see him perish. So what does Moses do? He gets on his knees and he prays. When we are, when the pressure is turned up, when the heat is turned up, one of two responses typically happens to us. Either we run away from God or we run to God. The Israelites, they weren't taken up with God. They're looking at Moses and saying, what are you doing? What are we to drink? They're taking matters into their own hands. Moses gets on his knees and he prays. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. I'm a visual person. I don't know if anyone else is a visual person, so I need to see this and kind of just percolate with this a little bit. Again, put yourself in the eyes of an Israelite, okay? You're thirsty. You're cranky. You're tired. Like having kids. So here you are. You're cranky. Moses is over here praying. Moses is praying. Moses gets up from praying, goes over. Picks up a piece of wood. All right, guys, you can drink now. Is anybody else like me and you're like, what? How does that, what? What does that even mean? But sure enough, what does verse 25 say? And the water became fit to drink. The water became fit to drink. I studied this a lot this week, and here's what just really kind of stuck out to me. You have two camps in terms of this event of experts who know way more than I do, who studied way longer than I have. They have two very compelling theories about what happened here in Mara. Camp number one is that some experts believe the piece of wood that is actually he's talking about here is really a branch. It's part of a tree. And they believe that part of the composition of the tree, part of the chemicals that make up the tree, if you were to throw it into the body of water, it would make the chemicals in the water that are making it bitter sink to the bottom so you could drink the top. Similar to if you were to take a bottle of salt water, put it in a pan, and boil it and catch the condensation, you could drink the water because it would be free of salt. Same kind of thing, but with a branch, scientific. That's camp number one. Camp number two is people said, uh, that's a stretch. No way a piece of wood could make the water clean. This was just a bona fide miracle of God where he just changed the water from bitter 
to good to clean or good to drink. Two camps. My question for you is does it matter? Does it matter? They prayed for healing. They prayed for clean water, and they got clean water. Does it matter how it happened? Let's bring this in 2023. You're sitting in a doctor's office, and you've just been handed a diagnosis that's scary to you. And so you get out of the office after they lay out your prognosis and your solutions, and you text me, or you text our staff, or you text your friends. You say, hey, will you pray with me? This is scary. Will you pray with me? So off you go. We pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. You go to the appointments. You get the treatment. You take the pills. You do the stuff you're going to do. And four months later, they bring you back into the office and say, after looking at your scans again, you're clean. You're clear. You're good. Do you think you care how you got healed? Because I know I wouldn't. If it were my son, my daughter, my wife, I would take no less credit for God doing the miracle, whether it was miraculous or scientific, because God can work in the midst of both. God has blessed people with gifts and abilities beyond our comprehension. I am not wired to be an accountant. I am not wired with finances and those kind of things. I'm wired differently in the same way that there are doctors and very, very smart people who were given a gift to know how to study the human body and do miraculous medical advancement. God knit them together in their mother's wombs and gave them ability. So whether it was a miraculous healing where he just vanished the cancer or whether it was part of God using the people in your life, To help vanish it, the miracle is no less miraculous. Because what had to happen for that doctor to get to that moment, to get to you, is an act of God. Healing happens in so many different capacities. It doesn't matter how it happens because God is no less glorified. To be honest with you, I don't know how the water became clean. But I don't think Israel cared. I think they were thirsty. They were dying. And somehow, some way, somebody prayed and the water became clean. That is miraculous. That is healing. And the deal is you don't realize how much you take your health for granted until it's questioned. Health is one of those things when everything is good to go, you don't take it, you just, it's easy to take it for granted. But when it's in question, you realize how critical it is to get it working again. And the part that's most significant of the whole story is in ancient biblical times, your physical health and your spiritual health were often intertwined. Meaning, where did they find themselves at? Mara, which is called bitter. A lot of people believe that it was no accident that God brought them to Mara, but because they were bitter. Socially, mentally, spiritually. So while God worked a physical miracle, he worked a mental miracle as well. Church, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you walked in with today. 
You might have known somebody. You might do know somebody who is in a very critical physical healing. They need one. They're at the hospital right now. They're at home right now recovering. They're in relapse. They're whatever it looks like. You might need a physical healing. But the deal is, God's not just in the business of doing physical healing. He's in the process of doing spiritual healing and mental healing. Because the people of Israel were bitter that they were enslaved for so long. And they needed to be healed of that. Because if you go back and listen to a great sermon by a great pastor two weeks ago on this very stage, who's was really humble. Next is 17, two chapters later, they step into a battle. And if they weren't relieved from that bitterness, they wouldn't have won the battle. What does this all mean? Again, it's one thing to know the scripture. It's one thing to know this. But what does that actually mean for you and for me? What does that actually look like for you? What I'm going to do today is something that I went back and forth with a lot. Something that I really had to dig deep with to get to the bottom of because it was something that was really, really a struggle for me to do. But when I looked at the nature of this message, I knew it was something that was critical to what's going to happen. So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to peel back the curtain and let you know my experience of a healing. Because while I may have not had the miraculous where my left leg was shorter than my right and I prayed for it and it got longer, I've never had a miraculous healing like that, but I have had a healing recently. It looked a little something like this. A lot of people don't know this. As a matter of fact, very few do, only the ones that are closest to me. But from mid-August to mid-September was a very, very tough season for me. One of the toughest I've ever had. For those who know my story, you know that mental health is a big part of my journey. In 2014, I was diagnosed with clinical depression and clinical anxiety. And so I went through and got a bunch of treatment that was all good. But August and September was a really, really tough season for me. You might be asking, like, what caused it? I have no clue. Church was going great. Family was going great. There was just a part of me that was battling some feelings of insecurity and failure that I couldn't muster up to anybody else. The point where I really became discouraged, really felt like I was depressed, and this anxiety really kind of started to mount to the point where I actually sat down to type a sermon. And as I was typing, I brought my hands up and they started to quiver from the anxiety that was just coursing through me. And again, a lot of people didn't know this. A lot of people, I wasn't trying to hide it, it just wasn't something that I wanted to publicize. But here's the deal I got really, really discouraged and really kind of started to feel this the point where I ended up going to talk to one of our elders. I went over to her house, and I said, she, she knows me. She was actually on the board who actually hired me six years ago. She's known me from the time that she's, I, I stepped in here until the time I am now and throughout the whole process. And in a moment of honesty, she goes, what's going on? And I just dumped. And I just said, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm battling. And as I dumped the bucket, something came out of my mouth that I never thought would come out of my mouth. I said, I said, I don't even, I don't even know if I'm cut out for this anymore. I, I feel like such a failure. I feel 
Like everything I do just fails. As I get up on stage and I'm, I, I, I want to lead our church, I just feel like there's so much more I want to do, so much more ways I want to help, and I just feel like I can't. I just feel like I'm failing. And it surprised me that I said that because I didn't even realize I was feeling it, but I was feeling it. And I went home and I felt great until I woke up the next day. And everything came rushing back. And I don't say this, church, to make you feel bad or to be like, oh, I'm sorry you were going through that. No, no. I want to tell you about my Mara experience. You can be encouraged about my Elam experience, which I'm going to get to in just a second. Because I went from that conversation with the elder to going home to my wife, because guess what? We started to pray. We started to pray and pray and pray like, hey, like, let's get on top of this thing. God is bigger than anxiety. He is bigger than depression. He is bigger than mental health. We just want to see you be free again. Let's pray. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And it was one day, my wife is incredible. One of the greatest women I've ever met in my entire life. She has the gift of discernment. She goes, Derek, you need to get counseling and therapy. And guys, can I tell you, I've preached this from this stage, that yes, therapy is awesome, counseling is awesome, but there's a part of me that felt like, you know what? I don't want to, because I know God can heal it. I don't want to go to therapy, not because I'm against it, not because I think it's wrong, but I just don't want to go to it. Because I'm a pastor. I have faith. I trust God. And I wrestled with it. And to be really honest with you, I denied it for a while. Until I understood that maybe the way God wants to heal doesn't look like the way we thought it would. Maybe God wants to heal by throwing a piece of wood in a well. Maybe he wants to heal not by just having it go away, but by the mouth and the voice of a therapist. Because here's what happened. I started going to counseling and therapy virtually in mid-September. And this dude's awesome. He scared the daylights out of me, honestly. He's jacked, military cut, Floridian. So he just says it how it is. And I'm like, whoa, that's direct. I like it. But going through therapy, I realized a few different things. He called out a few different things. He started calling things out in me that no person has known on this planet outside of my wife. Things, thoughts, insecurities that no other person knows outside of my wife. And he started to call them out in me. You mean to tell me that God's not a part of that conversation? That God's not working through that person to help me. Because here's what happened. It wasn't just the therapy. It was starting to get back into exercising and running like I normally am to get my body moving physically. He sparked in me this need. He he said, you know what? You don't have that mentor, that person in your life that's actually pouring into you. You need that person who's going to pour into you and encourage you and support you. You're missing that. You got to get that. But I started getting those. 
I started being authentic and open with my friends and being really honest, like, hey, here's what's going on. And a really, really big thunder, kind of lightning bolt strike, the big pillar that moved everything. Is he goes, how honest are you with God? And that question hit me like a truck. Because if you've been in this church for long enough, you've known how much I have preached that. But there was a part of me that wasn't being fully honest with God. As a pastor, I felt like I needed to just be there for everybody else and not let God speak into my life. And I realized that I was missing that intimacy with Jesus where he could speak into me and encourage me and take away my fears, take away my doubts, take away my worries. And when I took the time to slow down and cherish that again, everything changed from the inside out. So here's why I say that to you. You can ask my wife, you can ask Riley. I wrestled with even sharing any of this, not because I'm ashamed of it, not because I wanted to hide it, because I didn't want this to be about me. But we just felt like you needed to see the honest part of what healing looks like. It's slow. It takes a while. It doesn't always happen the way you thought it would. And to be really, 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 really honest with you, I don't know the formula. Because I've prayed and healings have happened. And I've prayed. And the very thing we were trying to have removed wasn't. Sat in the hospital room. Said goodbye. And I've walked away and I've gone, God, why? Why? This one doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. And I've realized, church, we're not meant to. We're not going to know the full story. We're not going to know the formula. But here's what we do know. We just have to trust the process and trust him through it all. Because let me tell you what, look how the story ends. Verse 26 says, For I am the Lord who heals you. They're in Marta. Look at 27 says, the very next verse. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near the water. All the Minnesotans said amen to that. Here's what might be going through a season right now that let's call it what it is. It really stinks. It's really hard. It's really difficult. And no amount of me is going to try to justify why it's happening because it's above my pay grade. But here's what I do know. I know that God is working. And I know he can heal in ways that are far beyond us. Here's my challenge to you today. When I look at the story of the Israelites and Mara, and I look at Moses, I can't help but picture A tree didn't just pop up out of the ground. The branch didn't just come up out of nowhere. No, the word says that God showed him the branch after he prayed. I'm praying that God shows you a branch this week in your healing process. He shows you something to help you heal. 
counselor, a therapist, a friend, an honest conversation, a breakthrough, a medicine. I don't know what it is, but I am praying that there is some kind of branch you find this week that begins your healing process. And I'm asking that you believe he's going to do something awesome. I believe, guys, as I prayed about this sermon for days, my prayer was that there would be some healings in this place. Healings mentally, healings physically, and healings spiritually. And it starts with three things. Number one, well, really quick, pray for healing. You got to pray, big and small. Secondly, you have to not limit God's limitless resources. God might heal you in ways you don't expect. Don't limit him. Let him do it the way he wants to. And trust him in the process. And step number three, how do you find healing? You got to look for God in the waiting room. Hard to trust God when you're in the waiting room. Literally, but also metaphorically. Look for God in the middle of your healing, before it happens. Before they got to Elam, they were in Mara. But this is when God really revealed himself. In some of your toughest seasons, God will move the most power, and you will experience God the most. I won't wish on my worst enemy what I walked through in August and September. But let me tell you what, my walk, my faith, my intimacy with Jesus is in a place right now than it never has been because we walk through Mara. And God moved. So wherever you're at, I'm praying that today you experience him and you sense him. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, today we come to you and we ask for your healing. But before we ask God, we thank. What do we have to thank you for? We thank you that you died on the cross making it accessible to come to you. You're not a God that's far off. You're not a God that's unconcerned. You are a God that sees the inner workings of our life. You are the God who sees every single detail, big and small, and you're there not just to observe, but to act. And God, today we pray because prayer changes things. And God, today we pray that the healings that need to happen in this room, the healings of grief, the healings of mental health, the healings of a body, the healings of a spiritual vitality, we pray today, Jesus, for your healing because you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the healer. You are the God who heals big and small. And you don't just heal once. You don't just heal twice. But you heal again and again and again and again. So today, God, we pray for your healing. And we ask that you would heal the needs spoken and unspoken in this very room. Jesus, we give it to you. We worship you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. If you're ready for a miracle, if you're ready for healing, put your hands together and let's praise God together. This has been a podcast of the Griggs Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbriggs.org. Have a great week.